Press gets... the superfluous 3D button, Robert. It's time for some <laughs> money to come in. Christmas spelt K-W-Y-Z-B-E-Z. So I guess the only way you know not to read it is if you've already read it. (laughs) (laughs) I've fallen down a hole in my own spurious logic. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Merry Christmas. Felicitations of the season. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And this is Shark Liver Oil's Christmas special. Our We've first got... Christmas special as well. Yes. Nice We've got God. the turkey out in front of us. There's a crackling fire in the <laughs> fireplace, luckily. There's... <laughs> there's, a, there's a crackling fire but we've moved as far away from it as we can and we reckon we can get a recording in before the ceiling beams fall in so we're all alright. There's Christmas crackers, there's um, sort of tinsel up everywhere, there's a tree inexplicably moved indoors and decorated. <laughs> <laughs> what is with that? What is with that? What, what was the I, reason well, behind well, that? Well, Matt, the, the answer to that um, is the Germans, isn't it? Is it? Oh, yeah, it's a German Christmas tradition. It was um, Prince Albert, who was German when he married Queen Victoria, um, kind of came over and went, like, your Christmas isn't nearly jolly enough. What you need, decorated tree. And she loved yes. him, so she said, yes. And that, that single solitary yes, dear, has translated into an enormous industry for cutting down really, really big green trees. Well, this uh, moves us quite nicely in to uh, what we're talking about today because, you know, a lot of these Christmas traditions have come from Victorian times, which is where a Christmas carol is set. Hey, there you, you go. Tell you what, it, almost as if that was planned. And <laughs> so it's a bit it, optimistic, Matt. But I, I, I like you're in the mix and you're feeling it, and I'm enjoying that. If if you were listening to the last couple of podcasts, then uh, we spent the last two discussing uh, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Uh, we got through it all uh, the end of the last cast, and now for the Christmas special, what we're going to be doing is. Looking at the uh, the cl- looking at the reviews that we always do, uh, we've got some feedback to talk about as well about the about the book. We'll do that first, and then we're going to move on to a few retellings of a Christmas Carol because it's one of the most retold stories, uh, you know, ever. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the most retold Christmas story. Oh yeah. Um, non-religious one, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah right, the actual nativity story has a sort of eighteen hundred year head start on a Christmas Carol, so it's probably not been probably yeah. not been visited as many times as that one. And it's and it's also got this massive weight of it gets hundreds of thousands of retellings every year of school nativities. So that's true. It means, I mean, I mean, Christmas race, Carol can't compete. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so let's just kick off, Dave, with. with how did you feel overall about a Christmas Carol the book after all the times you've seen it told in different ways without actually reading the original how did the original stack up I liked it and I thought it was really special the way that Charles Dickens um, prose was so good that it managed to feel fresh even when it 
you know, it's this most over visited of stories. So I'm reading it, and there were there were points where that that was kind of inescapable. Like I was talking last week about God bless us, everyone, which mm. is just a beautiful line, such a lovely little moment, you know. But I'm sorry, I've heard it nine million times. I no longer <laughs> find that moving. Um, so, uh, but. I, you know, in a, I think if it was less well written, the whole story would have been like that. But actually, this time it was, you know, it was it was really moving, despite the fact that I knew what was going to happen. And there were one mm. or two really standout emotional moments where I was, where I was like, oh wow, just the way Dickens does the scene is like head and shoulders above everybody else's attempts to do that scene. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know. Well, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, um, I really, re- I enjoyed it more than I expected, and I thought it was going to be really good. Uh, it was, it, it was strange because you did. It, it's a story you know so well. It's almost like, um, I suppose it, it, it was for me. It was like, do you know, when someone tells you an anecdote which you've you've heard them tell before, but they're <laughs> really good at telling it, so you're quite happy to listen to it again. It's kind of like that. And, I do. Uh, I do know that. Yeah, and but it was like it was almost like uh, with a few optional extras as well because there are a, bit, a few bits in it which, rather strangely, haven't made any of the retellings. Yeah, um, I, th- I think about the sort of th- this zooming out around a few um, other parts of the country and out onto the ship and the lighthouse and the hovel. Um, mm. Where the people, the miners, are celebrating Christmas, that yeah. was quite nice. And this bit where um, I think I think this this did, <clears throat> this has made one retelling, but the insurance or the the, the the people who owe Scrooge money who are delighted that he's dead. Yeah. Uh, I don't say delighted; they're relieved that he's dead because they think yeah. they've got more of a chance of of actually not get not becoming destitute now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I liked it. I, I, I and I thought overall, you could see why it's so popular, and it still holds up very, very well in terms of uh, the style of the writing and uh, the pace at which it moves up. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it's kind of made a like I say. I've tried Dickens novels in the past, and I've generally found them quite um, really difficult to get into because they're so bloody long. And mm. so you know, you open page one, and you get nine years of story about. David Copperfield's favourite waistcoat or whatever and mm. I just you know I, you know I'm, I'm not feeling it and I gave up and this was a this is a great entry entry drug gateway drug to um, Charles Dickens so I'm going to have one of those to read over Christmas I think it's going to be good yeah good um, plan I, the other thing I was going to say was on the um, uh, the bit that nobody's adapted for TV or, or for film with this big swoop around the world and you know showing them the hovel and showing them the ship and showing them the lighthouse and that um, I had a really clear image in my mind's eye of that, and so I was I was a bit confused when I realised that yeah, none of these ad- adaptations that we've watched for this um, have that in it. And then I realised I have it in my head because do you know the Raymond Briggs Father Christmas cartoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, there's a yeah. sequence at the end of that where Father Christmas flies around the world delivering loads of presents. And and it's exactly that. He flies out over the sea and there's a lighthouse and there's a ship and there's all of this. And I totally hadn't realised that they'd kind of... they grabbed that from A Christmas Carol. But they must have thought... They, they must literally have thought Christmas had come early when they found out <laughs> that nobody had ever ad- adapted that scene. They were like, oh, brilliant, we'll put it in. But with Father Christmas, <laughs> even better. 
<laughs> Here's one for free. Great stuff. Yeah, that was a freebie. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, enough of what we we think about it. Let's uh, let let's move on to some uh, some reviews. Um, let's see if we start with uh, with with Max, who uh, doesn't give it a star rating, but he's made some really interesting points. Yeah. Uh, the first one is. Uh, he he really wasn't a, wasn't a big fan of this book. Uh, he said he, he liked it, yeah, but something about it. Have, he'd listened to it on audio as an audio book, and he said something about having it read out loud made it sound ponderous, pompous, and preachy. Um, which he, he says is partly to do with the Dickensian prose. Yeah. Um, also, I do wonder if there was somebody who um, who was reading it. Because mm. this is a bit of a oh, well, I don't, Max. I'll be really interested to if you if, send us an email and tell us what you think about this. Because um, I've tended to find that when there's American adaptations for audiobook of British books from earlier than about 1950, they sound mm. just insufferably cliched and just like because it's somebody with an American accent trying to talk like they imagine somebody from Victorian London spoke and to, unless people have spent a lot of time in london it's impossible to do that really without coming off like you're narrating a ride at disneyland mm. so um so i wonder if the person reading it just put all of this kind of faux prissy victorian bullshit into the voice because they mm. were reading it out because that's what they think dickensian prose is supposed to sound like because i definitely didn't feel like it sounded that way well um interestingly enough max says the one saving grace of the audiobook version was that the, the narrator was doing a voice for Scrooge, and uh -huh. it sounded exactly like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I stand corrected. Clearly, you could do a decent English accent then, because. Uh, well, uh, but but uh, you know, and he make this. It's a. This is the big question. Where is the Star Wars Christmas special? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'll say oh. this, Dave. That Disney's signed up Star Wars now, hasn't it? Oh hell! It's oh, getting can you closer. imagine? Can you imagine Ian McDermott <laughs> stars <laughs> as Ebenezer Scrooge? Ah, humbug! Feel the force. <laughs> Do you remember what when a you were complicit in the notion? I thought I'd seen it all with Mickey's Christmas Carol, <laughs> Boba Fett's Christmas Carol. Mm. Remember the Christmas you were complicit in exploding a planet? <laughs> that was that was a bad year for you. Uh, you forged quite a few links in the chain that year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll level with you. That was a heavy year. That was a heavy year. Uh, yeah. Okay. A um, couple of other things from Max. One is uh, he he says about the the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, he says that this guy, this guy came, you know, the the Ghost Christ, Christmas Future, pretty much came across as a straight up Barrow White from uh, from Lord of the Rings, um. uh, and, and he's he said he doesn't really get the point of that. You know, do we not look forward towards next year's Christmas? Do we dread it as rising from its grave or dragging us down to ours? I guess maybe Scrooge does, uh, but if that's the case, and these are the ghosts of Scrooge's personal Christmases, why is Christmas present not the most wasted away in appearance? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, questions of... I, I think 
Christmas future tends to be, it, it is just depicted as death, isn't it? And that eventually, you know, certain number of Christmases in the future, you, you're not going to see and you're going to die. And it's just this, I think the, the whole point of the Ghost of Christmas future is, is appreciating your own mortality, isn't it? And yeah. That's why, and that's why it's frightening to Scrooge. I, I don't think these the, the ghosts are, are supposed to be um, just Scrooge's own versions of of past, present, and future. Well, I think I think it's I actually I disagree a little bit. I think maybe this is Scrooge's personal kind of thing, but it's the sort of it's it's different, isn't it? You talk about your past and it's unchangeable, and and the further away we get from it, it becomes more kind of nostalgic and so on. And the present is a very alive moment where you can actually be changed, and do you see the stuff? You see things as they as they are, not as you as they're going to be as a result of your actions, or as they have been as a result of your actions. So I yeah. think, but but for Scrooge, the Ghost of Christmas Future is completely condemnatory because it's presenting him with the total futility and pointlessness of everything he's done to that point in that it's brought no joy it has been totally joyless mm. um and so i don't know i i think these these probably are kind of scrooge's personal ghosts because in a sense they're his better nature right um yeah they're, they're the bits of him or or the you know whatever it is he's being presented by somebody with his with his better nature and they're kind of drawn from the bits of him that can you know that that are other than his personal persona. You know, and that's what that's what Scrooge is good at because he's he's actually not just a single, uh, dimen- one-dimensional character. That's a, that's that's a really nice uh, reading of it. So, and it, it is kind of backed up because one of the uh, one of the actual retellings we're going to look at later is this Dis- recent Disney uh, Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey in it. Mm-hmm. And although um, the there are there are other actors, sort of voicing the uh, ghosts of past and present. Apparently, the movements because it's all animated. Yeah. The movements are all were all done by Jim Carrey. Oh, as interesting. Sort of so he motion of, captured for the ghosts as well as for as yeah. well as for his character. Hmm. Yeah. So that and that obviously again suggests the you know um, this idea that it, they are effectively. More, I mean, they're not figments of Scrooge's imagination, but they're more closely linked to Scrooge than anybody else. These spirits, yeah, yeah, they're kind of they're they're talking to him as only he can talk to himself. It's it's kind of like his his conscience gets like a massive shot of adrenaline in the arm, having been totally knocked out on the ropes for decades. Somebody comes along and just like supercharges his conscience. Like in, like like in the end of a game of Tekken or something, somebody gets a power up. And they're like, Roar! yeah, and you just like go back in, ready for the fight, and it works. Yeah. Um, the uh, oh, another another point that Max makes. I'm not so sure about this one. Is uh, he says that Christmas is often uh, the season with the highest suicide rate statistically, mm. and um, he wonders if that was true in Dickens's day as well. And he mm. points out that all all the sort of deaths in Scrooge. In uh, the Christmas Carol, happen around this time. His sister, Tiny Tim, and uh, obviously his yeah. own death, which is yeah. fairly interesting. I think that I think the um, the actual highest. I mean, none of those are suicides, from what we can tell. Sure. I think the 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 highest death rate is often sort of January, February, and people tend to hang hang on to cri- till Christmas. Yeah. And uh, but I, I remember 
I spoke to a the guy like an undertaker, and he said that was a that was a, often the case. Really? Is that you have this rather strange jump in uh, people who you know in deaths around about sort of January, February, and part of it wow. is that's when winter is sort of its hardest. Yeah, and yeah. it's also sort of he does think there's an element of people sort of wanting to see another Christmas. Which is, yeah, yeah, well, um, which is. I mean that's just incredibly sad, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if it was the same back in those days as well. Mm. Now we've done um, we've done two sort of classics recently: Pride and Prejudice and Christmas Carol. Mm. And uh, Max says that comparing the two, he feels less of a cultural divide with Pride and Prejudice and more of one with a Christmas Carol. Um, he says some of the sort of day-to-day experiences are much more foreign in A Christmas Carol. He was uh, baffled by the description of Fezziwig's dance party, uh, <laughs> the idea of Scrooge just stopping a random child in the street and sending him to buy a goose to send some other person is really hard to get your head around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's worth saying that even these days, uh, even in England these days, stop a kid in the street, give him a tenner and tell him to go and buy a turkey and take it down the road. He'll go, all right, and then just take <laughs> the £10. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I think perhaps the world's moved on uh, for everybody. <laughs> but um, it's interesting, though, that the Pride and Prejudice kind of chimes a little bit more. I like the idea of, um, you know, incredibly mannered, kind of frock, frock-coated, fluffy-shirted, Top hatted, <laughs> riding around on on horses, and nobody doing a day of work. That's, I. That's not my image of America, Max. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I thought the the one thing that's the most like Pride and Prejudice in the whole book is Fezziwig's party, because that's pretty much all they do in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they're so, uh, yeah, they they don't exactly got much hardship to worry about. But maybe there's an element of that, you know, Pride and Prejudice is um, because it only focuses on the comfortably off class and more people nowadays are comfortably off as compared to Dickens' time. Mm. That might be my, why it could be more easy to relate to. It doesn't delve into the horrendous um, poverty that was around at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something there. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh this is quite. Uh, hang on, let me look. Oh, uh, I thought this is the, just just finally. This is a really nice point that Max makes. Is uh, the description of Mrs. Cratchit uh, cooking the Christmas pudding and how she uh, was really nervous about it, and uh, and this is quite. I didn't really think about this as I was reading it, but Max says we take it for granted that we can pretty much make whatever we want uh, whenever we want by following written recipes or using the internet with ingredients available all year round and the thought that this woman who's probably illiterate gets to make this centerpiece dish for her family once a year from the memory of a recipe uh, probably told to her as a child by a mother was pretty yeah. cool yeah well absolutely and that's one of the well, that's one of the 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 lost things isn't it is this idea of craftsmanship and knowledge of mm. this skill, you know, external to having sat down to read about it for three years in a line. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let's move on to some uh, other reviews. And uh, most of these have star ratings. Um, All right. Okay. One is a... a <laughs> Let's start with a weird one. A two-star rating from Martin. Martin says, I bought this book a few years ago. 
Uh, when it arrived in the mail, I discovered it was actually the children's edition instead of the complete Dickens novel. I suppose that's what I get for buying the cheapest edition I could find. <laughs> <laughs> when you say children, how do you edit this to be a children's edition? <laughs> it's already pretty short. Like, <laughs> I wonder if it was just the sort of the screenplay, the script for Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Yeah, this appears to be the children's version of the novel. Also, there are far more mice and ducks in it speaking than I was expecting. <laughs> um, Annalisa uh, gave it four stars, and she says, it's hard to think of a world without A Christmas Carol. If that isn't enough of a memorial, I don't know what is. So, mm-hmm. okay. There you go. Quite nice. Some, uh, some five-starers. Uh, Ruth says, as many times as I've read this aloud to children, I've never tired of it. I love the last few paragraphs especially. God bless us, everyone. Dave, you can relate to that, sure. <laughs> I, as you know, I do love that that particular line, and I have struggled not to use that in every single context since I finished reading the book. Mm-hmm. In the shops, thanks, thanks, there's your change, and uh, yeah, God bless us, everyone. I'm in the office. Dave, can you just, God bless us, everyone? Sorry, I mean, what? <laughs> Uh, sorry, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. Um, Rizzy says uh, the descriptions and imagery, she's five stars with her, the descriptions and imagery are really wonderful. I particularly liked the party at Fezziwig's. The description of the Cratchit's holiday meal and the scenes of Christmas in remote parts. There you go. Which is, I mean, that that is a really good little touch, isn't it? Which is, is again, is so odd that it isn't in any Christmas Carol retellings. But yeah, I, I, weird. I mean, I suppose you're looking for ways to keep it to time and stuff, but I, I would have filmed it. Yeah. 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 Um, Look out for my forthcoming adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Um, Shall we move on to some one-starers? Let's... I really want to hear who... Like, I... I, I, Let me tell you what I'm hoping for with these one-star reviews, right? I am hoping to... As well as the the usual run of hilariously kind of uh, puerile 12-year-olds who just found out about the internet and want to go and troll people who like books their parents like and so on. As well as as all of that, um, I'm quite looking forward to seeing if I can find some one star review which is not just bar humbug i'm mm. quite I, I really i i want that to be possible but we'll see <laughs> it, it was quite hard to find one stars for this there aren't many to be honest because uh, it's such a popular book mm. um but there are some you can find them um a, a lot <laughs> of them you to be can honest, find are, them Matt. i think <laughs> i would struggle a, a lot of them to be honest are people who had to do it for school which is often the death knell of any enjoyment of a book, isn't, isn't it? Just incredibly sad. This is a kick-ass mm. book, but I'm sure I would have hated it as well if I had to do it in, you know, mm. for an hour three times a week when I was eleven. Yeah. Well, Charlie one stars says uh, a miserly old humbug has a nightmare and completely changes his personality. No, I don't think so. so he questions <laughs> the whole premise of it. You're right. It should have been more realistic. Um, I, I think the stories of the ghost of uh, Christmas past, present, and future needed to be rooted in a more rigorously realistic 
retelling <laughs> of for fuck's sake <laughs> does a leopard change his spots not as far as Charlie's concerned um, <laughs> Neo um, is so, quite to the point sorry uh, Neo <laughs> the one himself has condescended <laughs> to read one of these things I bet can I, can I try and predict what his, what his, uh, what his review is going to be <laughs> I know what you're going to do I'm predicting predicting it's going to be one word it's going to be Whoa. <laughs> I need to do that again, sorry. It's going to be... Whoa. <laughs> it just said it like you pass through a wind tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, that's it. It's, that's not, it. it's, it's not that. It is. Um, Neo says, I hated it. Do not read it if you are like me. <laughs> <laughs> is that all he says? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Don't read it if you're like me, because I hated it. So I guess the only way you know not to read it is if you've already read it. I've fallen down a hole in my own spurious logic. That's amazing. Schrodinger's fairy tale, Matt. I'm telling you, this story invites people into layers and layers and layers of illogic. We've got a final one-star review. Yeah. Uh, Carmel, uh, who says, I, I had hoped that rereading it at this stage of life, I would better appreciate it. I did not. <laughs> is, I, I'm sorry, I have to ask, is that like <laughs> Carmel the ghost? Like, now I've passed on to another plane of existence and I myself wear chains and go back to warn people about their misdeeds in their lives. You'd think that I'd, I'd be bang alongside this story and its message, but no, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, some more five stars just before we round them off um, Sean it's quite long this one but stick with it mm. the single greatest Christmas story as well as being the single greatest ghost story my Christmas tradition is fulfilled yet again for 20 plus years I read this story during the week leading up to Christmas and every year the story enthralls me like no other no other one thing I do during the Christmas holidays brings me the spirit of Christmas like this particular story does this is one of the few stories that absolutely everyone should read at least once in their lives. Beautiful. I always love hearing about when somebody's properly dug on a book. Yeah. And that's fantastic. Yeah. That's really great. And we all have those traditions, don't we, at Christmas? Things that we do which make it um, make the, make the time special. I mean, I'm a big fan of personal traditions like that. So what we're going to do now is look at some of the retellings uh, of A Christmas Carol because, you know, for most of us, including myself and you, Dave, we we don't really you don't come to a Christmas Carol very often straight in at the original Dickens book. More often than not, your first experience of it is one of these retellings, either in film or in telly. And mm. uh, and we're going to look at some of them now. First one, I mean, this is the first Christmas Carol I ever came across when I was very very little. Was Mickey's Christmas Carol, which is basically. A Christmas Carol, but with all sort of the Mickey Mouse and Disney characters. Because <laughs> that's what it was missing, wasn't it, really? <laughs> that's, that's what I needed. I was reading this and I was thinking, it needs more Mickey Mouse. It certainly doesn't take anything away from the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, mission accomplished. <laughs> Moving on. When when did you uh, read Mickey's Christmas Carol? Or when did you watch Mickey's Christmas read Carol? Read Mickey's Christmas Carol. Well, obviously, this guy, um, this reviewer has, um, who's got the children. Uh, 
That's true. I did not read it as uh, media text. No, I did not give it that level of uh, anal- analysis because I, I think I watched it when I was very, very small. Um, and it was just, you know, it's Walt Disney characters. It, it was, uh, it's difficult for me to really, I don't really want to talk about it from the perspective of having watched it as an adult mm. because that would just be to miss the point on such a spectacular level. Wow, the mice and the ducks and the the dog who talks and the dog who doesn't talk and the, uh, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought, um, I mean, it, it's, it is, I've I given it a rewatch now, it's got, there's a strange element of, you know, odd nostalgia about it because I haven't, I don't think I've, I'd watched it in about 20 years or so. But, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's good because it's a bit more ch- child-friendly for one particular thing is uh, Jacob Marley's played by Goofy, so he's, <laughs> he's not quite as frightening as, uh, <laughs> as in the other versions. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Just, I love the idea of Jacob Marley in life having been this sort of this sort of happy-go-lucky, like literally goofy character, always coming out with a silly voice or the funny wisecrack. And then it turns out that in his business dealings, he was surprisingly hard-headed, so he gets sent back to do this, but he's still wisecracking and stuff. (laughs) He's just sort of like, oh, oh, well, shut that door. Wasn't that difficult. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the guy who plays Scrooge is Scrooge McDuck. I assume that he was created for this. Um, he must have been, and I love the fact that he was so successful that they gave him a whole friggin' spin-off of yeah. stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was a massively popular version. This wasn't it. Uh, oh, Mi- yeah. Mi- Mickey is obviously uh, Bob Cratchit, mm. and uh, other sort of notable <clears throat> inclusions are Donald Duck as uh, the nephew, which is great because he's super, yeah. when he's just being excitable, Donald Duck. It's, it's <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoyed that a lot. Isn't it interesting that in this and in the Muppet Christmas Carol, the sort of banner character that it's being adapted to becomes Bob Cratchit, mm. and Bob Cratchit is a sympathetic character in the story, to be sure, but he has about like six lines to himself. Yeah. Um, but obviously you don't want to soil the brand by making Mickey Mouse or Kermit the Frog into <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> That'd have been brilliant. <laughs> Kermit the Frog like, is Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> I'm thinking more of Mickey Mouse with his sort of purposefully <laughs> innocuous high-pitched voice. Hi, oh, everybody! Kind of voice. <laughs> oh, bah humbug! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Bob Cratchit is the the sort of the the biggest nice character in the story, isn't he? So if you're going to have you, Scrooge is a bit of an anti-hero, isn't he? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, so Mickey's Christmas Carol is a it's a great one for the younger children, and also it does hold up pretty well um, when you're a bit older as well. I'm not sure how much of that is, to be honest, nostalgia, and how much is how it is actually quite a, a solid retelling of it, but. Um, but yeah, very enjoyable. Big big fan mm, of that one. Mm. Um, the next one, the big one, the one that everyone says is, well, almost everyone says is their favourite, uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol. You take a Christmas Carol, you take the classic story, <laughs> and you throw in a bunch of Muppets. Yes! <laughs> what do you make of this one? <laughs> I loved it. 
I mean, I saw this in the cinema, right? So whereas my memory of seeing the the uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol is kind of on TV at some point when I was too small to really understand. Um, this I remember very clearly seeing and enjoying when I was a kid. And then re-watching it, I was like, this is awesome! <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, one, one of the things I liked a lot about it, I particularly liked the way that Michael Caine was so clearly game for a laugh, that yeah. he even manages to squeeze out a tear when a frog made out of felt dies, and he still manages <laughs> to make it happen. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes an Academy Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's certainly, not, he's certainly not in there for his singing, is he? So, yeah. Oh God! Oh my word! He gets a musical number because he's got to have a musical number, but he is flat as a pancake. My word! I mean, I'm not much of a, a singer myself, uh, but that's why I don't do it in broadly released Hollywood movies. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. So it's a series that there are loads. With, with every Muppets film, there's loads of songs in it. Um, there's plenty of slapstick humour. And there's some pretty clever jokes in there as well. Um, yeah. And, it, and yeah, yeah, it just just something about it really works, doesn't it? More so than you'd I even t- expect. I tell you what I think it is. It's they don't phone it in. Mm. Like, because the, like, Jim Henson Productions and that that is really strong tradition of making movies that respect kids. You know, in many ways, they're the Pixar of their day, right? Yeah. And so they make these movies which are like, no, kids get themes about redemption and death and kids get things about all of this stuff. We don't have to just lob a load of pretty colours at them for an hour and a half to keep them quiet. Mm. Um, you know, there's this real sense of, of uh, respecting the audience. And, and it really literate as well. So not only has it got this whole, like, thematic heart, um, which I think in the movie was all about that song in the middle, which is um, the, the song in the Cratchit's house, which mm. is about gratitude, basically. It's about Christmas is fantastic and I'm thankful for it. Mm. And, you know, I'm thankful for what I get to do at Christmas and all of this. And it plays beautifully. And that's the thing that really converts Scrooge. Mm. So it's got this deep theme kind of heart. But also it's got this, it's really funny about that it uses most of the lines straight from the book yeah. and makes them work in the mouths of puppets. I just, just fan- absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and a, a big part of that is uh, they've got two narrators, uh, Rizzo and Gonzo. Oh yes. Uh, so, so then you can get the some of the really classic Dickens lines in there, but it's yeah. also you've got this sort of comedy double act doing it as well. So yeah, it's just uh-huh. paced and and uh, set really well, isn't it? Yeah, and because they use a lot of the lines and because they're doing all these jokes for the grown-ups, which of course I wasn't the last time I watched this. Um, I just enjoyed it on a whole new level. Like, mm. you know, you, you start the thing and Gonzo's like kind of, the Marleys were dead to begin with. <laughs> and the first thing I think is like, there's only one Marley, there's only one Marley, you've got it wrong. And then instantly Rizzo goes into this riff about, what, what did you say? I said, <laughs> the Marleys were dead to begin with. You know, and they just start riffing off the fact that it's a really creepy piece of literature whilst also being a kid's film. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. I, I'll tell you one thing though. Early on in the early on in the sequence where um, uh, Scrooge opens the door to his place and there's somebody there begging, you know, please, sir, a yeah. uh, little bread. Um, there was a bit of me which was expecting him uh, to just. It was this really little, really cute, little fluffy kind of I don't know, vague 
woodland creature looking <laughs> thing that's supposed to be dying of hunger in London and I, it was uh, it was exactly at the right height where if Michael Caine had just swung his leg he would have drop kicked <laughs> the fucker and there was a bit of me that was like oh man I would be so <laughs> tempted to put that in there if I was writing that script and obviously you can't do it because then kids will go home and drop kick their small baby brothers and sisters and you can't do that sort of thing Yeah, but there was a bit of me that just really wanted him to do it I could see it as well end over end big triple back somersault you know <laughs> Well, well, it does. It does half do that because when he slams the door, he slams it so hard that the the gets sort of blown off his feet. The little rabbit. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. which is of course yeah. the family friendly Sesame yeah. Street way of doing that joke. Yeah, which is why I don't have a career in children's entertainment. <laughs> Few honourable honourable mentions to characters uh, as you just mentioned the Marleys. Uh, they're really good with that. What were they called? Yeah, those yeah. two old blokes in Statler and Waldorf. Statler and Waldorf as as the the Marley brothers. They've got one of the best songs as well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I can't get it out of my head as well like I've had it in my head for the last few days is just with this like which they do in the middle instead of a second line in the chorus Molly and Molly although actually I I did really like that sequence and it's very funny because Statler and Waldorf are great but I was watching that kind of going but you're supposed to be sad about what you're doing and they're just doing their Statler and Waldorf thing about being really happy and really mean to everybody else and they're kind of talking you know this too could happen to you you too could have a great time in the afterlife with one of your best mates what? they didn't seem to be too troubled by the number of chains they had on Uh, some other really good castings. Uh, Miss Piggy as uh, Cratchit's wife is great when she goes yes. off on one about uh, yes. about Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, because of I mean, so everybody reading that I think gets to that point and you think, oh, risky move by Scrooge. <laughs> and then Miss Piggy, of course, does it on screen because she really doesn't have any self control at all. She has no super ego. She's all ego and it. And she's how dare you! <laughs> and just gets right into her indignant Miss Piggy thing, and I loved it. <laughs> Uh, Kermit's great as Bob Cratchit because it just sort of works, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. f- uh, it was great, Fozzy Bear as Fizzy Wig, so it's Fozzy Wig. Uh, Fuzzy wig. I was, the moment that scene started, when I realised what they were coming to, I all, I, I just punched the air. I was like, "Yes, Fuzzy wig. That's exactly what it should be." <laughs> and one of my favourite bits, which is one of the more obscure parts, is the massive blue bird thing as um, as the teacher of Scrooge. Yeah. And he goes, uh, <laughs> now, let me tell you why I loved that guy, right? Because he does the gag where he talks about going to business, my son. This is the thing that everyone must do. It is the American way. And I will tell you this in 99 out of 100 American adaptations of British books like that, that line would have been left to die on the floor in its own shame. But no, no. You've got a narrator who can lean around the back and go. It is the British way. <laughs> and actually make a gag out of it. Like, if that wasn't greeted with hearty cheers in every cinema across Great Britain, I will be very, very, very surprised. I, I just love the way he says, Business. You're now entering the world of business. <laughs> <laughs> of business. It's, it's up there with tuppence is tuppence. Isn't oh, it? well, yeah. Yes, yes, tuppence is tuppence. Um... Well, is there anything else you want to say about... Oh, the, the one thing I want to say about Muppet Christmas Carol is the ending. Um, quite a few retellings do this, where instead of Scrooge sending the turkey round to 
to the Cratchits, he goes round and delivers it. So you've got a nice sort of ending scene with him surrounded by the Cratchit family um, mm. enjoying Christmas. Mm. Uh, do, do, what do you make of it when they, when they move that and they sort of rejig the ending slightly? Um, I think it's necessary, really, because otherwise... Because in a book, you've got the whole internal process of is just kind of like this this gibbering relief that he gets to have a second chance and you really feel it because of his internal monologue which you don't have in a film um plus uh, plus i think like like max was saying earlier on like the 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 bit about go and buy this and take it to him made a lot of sense in an era where rich gentlemen paid street urchins to go and do things for them and generally it was done but it's just a little bit too big of a culture gap to try and step across and you, you lose a lot of energy explaining it where you could have him just take it down for himself and then it becomes, you get a big relational bonus out of it as well. So yeah. I understand why they did that and I didn't think it hurt it at all. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. Tuppence, it's tuppence. We go <laughs> to um, D- Disney's, uh, I think it's 2002 six maybe or ten or something like that recent anyway retelling of a christmas carol which was done in 3d with uh with sort of motion capture animation uh and it starred jim carrey Uh, it's a christmas carol uh what did you make of this one um well it's robert zemeckis very very clearly having a lot of fun with the fact that he can stick ping pong balls on people's faces and get them to act (laughs) <laughs> and um, and I thought the face capturing was uh, was very very good and you know they were like you know the moment um, that uh, Gary Oldman's character comes on screen you go that's Gary Oldman <laughs> but somehow crutching. rendered in sort of weird CGI where it's a little bit odd and I'm not certain how comfortable I feel about this <laughs> you know there there were moments where he fell properly into the uncanny valley. Mm. Um, uh, where you, where you know you try and render a realistic human face on a computer, and the more the closer you get to it being realistic, the more freaked out you become. Yeah. As a, they're just psychologically responding to it. So um, so it definitely had that problem at certain points. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, you know, I thought it was good. Any anybody wants to make a make a movie out of this and put a cast in it that's that flipping good, mm. like you know you. I'll, talk to me all flipping day long I mean like um, uh, hang on a sec I've got the cast list here actually because mm. it's really good alright Jim Carrey mm-hmm. Gary Oldman mm-hmm. as Cratchit Marley and Tiny Tim which I thought was great I just a, a, a million pounds I'd pay to be in the studio with Gary Oldman hobbling around on a crutch for motion catcher trying <laughs> to speak in his highest pitch voice <laughs> God bless us everyone <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Colin Firth, Bob Hoskins, Robin Wright Penn, Carrie Elwes. What a cast! Got it all. Got it all. Yeah, I agree. I I, I enjoy. I really enjoyed it. I like it because it was quite. A, it was one of the more gritty retellings of it. It's quite. There's elements mm. of sort of a horror. St- uh, the, the sort of ghost story side of it is played up mm. as much as the the Christmassy side. So the, the, it felt almost like a horror story at times, which is which is good. That's very very true, um, and but I'm, I will say this: it did it a lot better than the next film that we're doing, which is Scrooged, and which I'll come to. But um, but yeah, because I think you know there is a thing about the the Christmas ghost story being like the real the real reason that ghosts are scary 
Mm. is not the kind of Ghostbusters from the beyond, what are they going to do to me when they touch me kind of thing, but as like a, what do they tell me about what I don't want to know? Mm. You know, how do they present me with the kind of, I suppose if you like, the spiritual reality of what the consequences of my life in a way that I just don't want to hear. And, you know, this plays off that really well, I think, as well as all the scary, you know. Um, but it's the, it's the kind of moral scariness that I responded to in this one. I thought it was really well done. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Um, the Another thing, the, the, one of the weaker things in this one, in this film, is uh, because it's because it's one of the early 3D films, every so often it's sort of, it's time to do a 3D moment and something flies <laughs> towards the screen. Uh, <laughs> and it, it gets the superfluous 3D button, Robert. It's time for some <laughs> money to come in. Yeah, and it does sometimes feel a bit like, oh, we've done some talking and atmospheric stuff now. Uh, we need to remember that it's also the 3D element, so let's just do an action sequence. And just just yeah. action sequences happen for no apparent reason. I think the best one yeah. for me was the um, the Ghost Christmas Future when he starts getting chased by this horse and carriage thing. Yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, I don't know if you, I might ruin this for you, but if you ever watch an Edgar Wright movie, there's mm. so many like transitions between scenes which happen with just no reason at all like there's a bit in hot fuzz like so many scenes change with somebody getting blinded by a really bright light and we never see where the light comes from or anything <laughs> they get blinded by a really bright light and then the next scene starts <laughs> and uh, yeah it was a bit like that but I was willing to forgive it you know Christmas yeah yeah and it's just you know I'm sure if you ask the director well, why why was the horse and carriage and being chased around and being shrunk to a tiny rat size and then being but what was all that about it just go because it looked cool yeah, well, and that's a broader problem, I think, with Robert Zemeckis. Obviously, this isn't a film review show, but I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about Robert Zemeckis in that he always fucking does that. He always mm. wants to do something that looks... It's just... It's it's so cool! <laughs> and he doesn't really get that everybody else needs a fucking plot attached to it. Um, so, the Polar Express. The Polar Express. What a bag of ass that movie is. Did you not like but, the Polar um, Express? I didn't like the Polar Express. Didn't like Flight either. <laughs> he can take that and shove it up his... Anyway. Oh, I like the Polar Express. Oh, right. It, Humbug, Matt. <laughs> Humbug. The thing I liked most about this version is um, I think it's the best representation of the Ghost of Christmas past. It's basically this... Mm. It is. It's this human candle, which... Yeah. Uh, Yes, with, with, yeah, with a massive actually hat. done with the with the muffler hat <laughs> yeah. thing and everything. Love yeah. that. Yeah, and it does this weird lots of little head movement every so often as well, and sparks itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. It's um, it's yeah. worth watching just for that, just for his interaction with the Ghost of Christmas Past, just because it. I think it. It just it was just really good. I think I think a lot of the time that's the ghost that it, uh, people struggle to put on screen. And I think mm -hmm. it was done very well this time. I'm not yeah, actually, I was going to mention that from the um, from the Muppets. Yeah, um, that they went for this really weird kind of labyrinth-style, creepy flying doll thing, yeah. which somehow managed not to be scary, despite <laughs> the fact. I mean, I mean that in a good way because if that thing was scary, that thing would be fucking terrifying. That's <laughs> like child's play territory. Um, <laughs> Chucky the doll. Um, but it just managed to make it a little bit weird and kind of ethereal. And I thought that was a fairly good rendition of it, but I think actually having the sparky candle thing going on 
in yeah. uh, the Jim Carrey version is much better. That was um, the 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 weird scary doll thing in um, in Muppet Christmas Carol was the ghost that scared me most, uh, more so than obviously Marley and Marley or the even the the big cloaked dude at the end. It was the yeah. creepy floating doll that was the one that used to scare me when I was little. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing I want to say about this this Disney Christmas Carol one is uh, the it was really good for atmosphere and part of it is it does sort of smoky, foggy streets of London very well. Um, yeah. and <laughs> more out of sorry, sorry, Karen. go on. No, more out of convenience than anything else, isn't it? Like if you put fog <laughs> over them, you haven't got to animate them. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and it was mysteriously foggy on every street in London up to a distance of about three meters. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but also again the the uh, the language it sticks very carefully to the uh, word for word to the book, and then when it does yeah. its own when it does its own sort of bits and pieces, it tries to do it in the same style as well. So you get a fairly coherent uh, version of it, which which I thought was very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's had mixed reviews when it was released. But I think we both quite like that one. No, it was um, it was good. It didn't the, see the problem, and we'll come to this in a second. The problem is that by comparison with Scrooge, I thought all of these movies were at the at the very least benign in right. a way which I didn't think Scrooge was. Well, you you're straining at the leash. So so, so shall shall we get on to it? <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the next one is the uh, 1980s uh, retelling. I think that's quite a nice way of describing it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah that's, it's, that's the most appropriate <laughs> word to describe this movie on all possible levels. It's Bill. It's Bill Murray uh, uh, in Scrooge, and it's basically Bill Murray's this uh, film ex- uh, TV executive who's an absolute bastard to everybody, and he is visited by three spirits, four if you count uh, the Jacob Marley style character, and uh, and he's is sort of encouraged to change his ways, Dave. Not a fan. I was just, oh man, this movie fucking wound me up. Because so you can almost hear the meeting going on in the movie company about getting this made right. Because this came out in 1988, which is the year before Ghostbusters two and four years after Ghostbusters one. Right? Ghostbusters one did disproportionate business for a like Saturday Night Live spinoff. Right? It was incredibly successful, mm. and Bill Murray was in it, and Bill Murray was in it fighting ghosts. And you can almost hear them going, well, everybody paid to see Bill Murray and ghosts last time. Let's just do that again, right? And so the ghost effects are, to start with, the Marley entrance scene is really quite violent in the fact that the the ghost punches through this sheet metal door and then, (laughs) like, pushes him out through a a plate glass window, which doesn't smash because, you know, imitatable activity. Let's keep this within the PG range. And, um, but then, but then he's like got this sort of, like, um, prosthetic arm thing holding him by the neck and he's grabbing it and he's snapping these bones in this arm. And you're like, is this for kids? Are you really, like, there's, there was just something in that kind of quite 1980s, quite kind of porny way of presenting violence, which is like, hey, guess what we can get away with these days? And I just find that entirely tiresome. I'm like, I've no problem with violence in movies at all. None. But 
Use it to serve the fucking plot. Don't just use it because you think the audience is a bunch of cretins who need to be kind of titillated with bread circuses and prosthetic zombie arms. Like, it just, it wound me up so much. And then, but, so, like, this this whole kind of, it's weirdly kind of horror, but also weirdly not... Um, and uh, and the the tone of it all the way through is just a bit odd. Bill Murray couldn't be more asleep if he tried. And then the end sequence, the end sequence where this guy who plays a cynical TV executive uh, experiences his redemption, right? His redemption, which is about no longer being quite so callously dismissive of the audience. Are you seeing the horrible parallels between the people who made this film and the people they thought they were mocking and the fact that they're actually mocking themselves and they're too stupid to realise it, right? This guy, who is his own self-parody, right, ends up experiencing a redemptive character arc during the course of which he gets off with one woman, right, live on TV, and then turns towards the lens and beckons another woman to come and actually stand with him and be his real love interest. She's just loving it, because why the fuck not? But he beckons her there by acting out something from the Kama Sutra, right? And there, and she's, first of all, she's off camera just laughing and giggling, having a ball, and then she, he beckons her on camera in front of, you know, 400 million people or something, and she's well up for it. She's like, oh, yeah, 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 I have no meaning or thoughts beyond my own cipher nature in this particular plot. And I was like, this is such a bag of ass. This is such an audience-insulting, like, pile of total wank. And it made me so angry, Matt. Because to do a Christmas Carol, and to do it in a way which, which clearly identifies this huge moral lack at the heart of the character, and then claim to address it by actually totally failing to address it, is just like, how fucking stupid can you be as a movie executive? Well, clearly, this stupid. Right, well... It's fairly strong feelings there. Um, I mean, <laughs> well, what did you make of it? Tell uh, me I, what you made of it. I, I've, interested. I've just wandered off and made a coffee and come back. <laughs> 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 um, okay, this is going to be quite interesting because I actually quite like Scrooge. Um, really? And, Tell yeah. me why. Uh, well, start from start from the first bit. Yeah, the the horror. Yeah, I suppose you're right with the um, sort of with the horror aspect and the, the sort of fairly gory, you know, arm snapping um, horror of it. But I, I, I thought it was quite good. It's, it's, it's a bit sort of, it treads the line between going a bit too far and not. But I mean, that's sort of the point. It's supposed to be uh, a sort of a satirical and fairly edgy film for its time. Um, I think you're right. There are issues with, um, with its portrayal of, of wealth and and and, and women especially um which is very yeah. 80s um but at the same time I, I give it a bit of a pass because <clears throat> you know is is it being a, a product of its time in the same way you know if we were in the 80s looking back at a film in the 50s we'd have some issues with it um yeah hang, but hang not on quite on the same level of being so completely i was just i, I was just sickened by it in, uh, I, in certain elements, I'm, I'm overstating it. There were bits that I found funny, like the opening sequence. I thought was a good satire, but then it didn't. It was it kind of yanked me around because it wasn't the 
it was yeah. a good satire made by people who didn't realise they were satirising themselves. The the opening sequence is um is one of my favourite opening Scrooge sequences actually. This uh yeah. the, the, this this like this uh, uh Father Christmas story with AK forty seven called the night the reindeer died. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, so that's so, the point is that it satirises that sort of really stupid like star based excess. But that's yeah. exactly what the film is itself. You know? <laughs> but I mean, to, to say that it's just you know a rip off of Ghostbusters, I think is not very fair because it, it does it does sort of keep quite well to the Christmas Carol story overall, and it isn't just. I mean, I think if they were just trying to make Ghostbusters light, there'd be more like crappy in jokes. There'd be a bit where you know um, Bill Murray pulls out a proton pack and gets rid of the ghost of Christmas past by blasting <laughs> him and you know stuff well, like that alright okay but but that's that is a bit like saying the guy who punched your teeth out at least he didn't break your arm as well like you're right there are ways for this to be more stupid but it's still fairly stupid and actually I think the ghost scene at the beginning the Marley scene is a good example of that the reason it winds me up is that it's not really in keeping with the tone of the rest of the film like um I actually thought the guy who acted out the um, uh, the uh, Ghost of Christmas Past did pretty well because he'd clearly been given a, a, a brief to be this kind of cackling, horrifying kind of character, and he actually managed to make it quite emotional. I thought that was that was pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, the earlier scene, which is just supposed to be all about freaking Scrooge out, um, was it was just you could almost hear the executives going okay we'll put in put something in there that's like really horrifying for the people who've turned up because they want it to be ghostbusters and then we'll move past it and it won't be in keeping with the rest of the film and it's not in keeping with the rest of the film but the, but this is the, but this that scene is much more horrific than ghostbusters ghostbusters isn't a a, a horrifying film in that way it's i would say that scrooge feels more uh, sort of horrifying and more gory if you like far more so exactly. than, than so Go- I, Ghostbusters is I mean the, the the most violent thing that happens in Ghostbusters one I think is Peter Vagman gets slimed yeah well and I, and who wants to be slimed man but but, but um, I mean it's, it's it's a world away from from this no, I, I, yeah. it, it's, I, in fact more so I thought that first scene A is um, how do you freak out this completely cynical guy who's used to making horrifying uh horrifying trailers and enjoys doing stuff like that it's got to be really really horrifying to actually give him a sharp shock and secondly it does it it made me think god this is this is more um sort of i don't know adult r-rated than than ghostbusters it's trying to be different to that rather than the same oh interesting well i think i think i don't think it's trying to be different from it i think it's trying to go one better you know, you, mm. you loved Ghostbusters, come and see this and we'll do it even more. Um, because there was a tonal thing in Ghostbusters that tended that way, even if it wasn't actually kind of, it didn't present it with that kind of graphic nature. Of course, you're right. I actually think the other thing you said is a really, really good argument. You do have to shock this total cad into into changing his ways. And, and you know, maybe that's the way to do it. Um, although, did you notice that at the end of that scene, somehow he ends up on the phone with his ex-girlfriend for no good reason at all, except that he needs a love interest. Yeah, the uh, the ghost dials his ex girlfriend, doesn't he? Uh, uh, and why? For why? For what reason? Because we need a love interest. You can see the me- the mechanisms working behind the script. 
maybe there's an acceptance that just seeing his past I, I suppose it's starting to set the wheels in motion to to, to move towards his his past isn't it, it creates the <laughs> yeah, connection yeah but he's right? already told him you're going to get visited by three ghosts not you're going to get visited by three ghosts and a phone call that's not a better <laughs> version of it at all <laughs> yeah that's for I mean you said you said that Bill Murray pretty much phones it in, and I don't really agree with that. I think he, he's actually very, very good in this, and the whole thing is built around his performance. And I well, maybe that's it true. depends on whether or not you like Bill Murray, but I think ooh, he ooh, he ooh, does ooh. he does a lot for it. I uh, well, I don't know. I'm, I I don't know what it would have been without Bill Murray in it. I don't think you could have made it without Bill Murray in it. And no, I would have no, been perfectly happy could. about that. Um, but. Um, uh, I really feel like maybe that was just his interpretation of the character as this kind of deadpan, dead-eyed kind of. But I just didn't. I didn't feel other other Bill Murray movies. I've seen him kind of having fun, and in that movie, I just saw him kind of. All right, you want it dead-eyed? Great, bump. And <laughs> and and that's what I think. That's what he was asked for, and I think that's what he gave. I think Bill Murray's a great actor, but I think this is one of his worst films. Right. Okay. Uh, the, I mean, there are other bits. That, I mean, there are parts of this that really did make me laugh. Like one is the the start, as we said, with the night the reindeer died and the yeah. the, the guy bursts through the door. He's Lee Majors. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bit where somebody comes in and then it's announced in the script who he is in case you've missed the status of our special guest star. That was worth satirising, right? But you might as well have had later in the film when Carol Kane comes in. By the way, Carol Kane, mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas present, fantastic. But you mm. might as well have done the same thing. It's Carol Kane, everybody. Hmm. Uh, the um, interesting thing with the ghost of Christmas present is this is uh, one of the scenes that, and um, one of the parts of the film that it gets a lot of praise which is this funny sort of slapstick it's basically this little slight uh, uh, fairy wing wearing uh, girl or woman who just beats up uh, (laughs) literally beats some sense into (laughs) into Bill Murray Mm -hmm. which is funny but I always think with that um, if you if you flip the genders around, it's horrifying. You know, if, you were to do, <laughs> yeah. if it was some yeah. burly bloke knocking about a woman to yeah. beat some sense into her, it'd be like yeah. the most horrendous thing you've ever seen on film. That's um, true. That's so, true. It, and it's it, just it weird, isn't it? It fails at egalitarianism. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, that, I suppose that's kind of, I suppose, is there a, a, some kind of point made in there? I don't know. But it's uh, no, it, it's very, um, very odd. No, no, it could be. I mean, I, I, I think it's... I think that works because somebody bothers to turn up and be funny. Mm. <laughs> like a character is funny in it, and it's Carol Kane. Mm. Um, and it also helps that I actually, um, a friend of mine, kind of reminds me a lot of Carol Kane. And so <laughs> it was like watching this friend kind of beat the crap out of Bill Murray on screen. <laughs> and I just found that incredibly pleasing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of dumb, but it's funny, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Dumb, but it's funny. It's not difficult to make me laugh when it's a Christmas film. Yeah, um, I have to, the the other the, the two things that I want to mention about this. Uh, one of which I have a problem with, and the other one of which I don't. Um, the first is this film would never get made the way it is today, and I will tell you. I, and in fact, I'm absolutely positive that it is edited whenever it is shown in the states, um, because in the uh, in the opening sequence. The uh, the the trailer he shows to try and scare people into watching Scrooge um, contains a shot of a plane blowing up, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Inter- and I was, International and terrorism, were, it says, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. International terrorism, plane blows up. And there were several, there were one or two moments like that where I was like, oh, yeah, you could get away with that in the 80s where you could say we're pushing the envelope here. But actually, since then, I feel like there's been a slightly more sophisticated approach to that sort of thing hmm. um, and better way of doing things. And the thing that I think falls into that category as well, and which I was... I really did think was terrible was um, Bobcat Goldthwait, this guy who gets um, uh, sacked in the first scene and then comes back in in the end with a shotgun. He comes back into his place of work with a shotgun and starts shooting it up, right? Mm. And it's played for laughs. And just how fucking tin-eared and disrespectful do you have to be to have somebody walking into their place of work with a gun and then presenting it as something that's funny? Well, uh, I don't, I don't know what it's, it's comedy, isn't it? You just, is, is, are things off limits when it comes to comedy? Well, no. If it's good comedy or if it's satire, but I still think that like it's yeah, like who, so who rules on good comedy though? All oh, right, okay, fair enough. But satire, right? You're not satirizing anything there. He's not, he's not kind of satirizing the desperation of the American worker to do anything at all costs to get his job back, right? No, you're he's right. He's not yeah. satirizing American, or, or you know, and it's not just American, but, um, but kind of resort to violence as a way of solving your problems, right? They're not satirizing that. They're just, oh, he lost his job and he's gone crazy. Isn't that hilarious? No, it's not. It's a reality of life for too many people these days. Yeah, and but most I, I don't, of them I don't, don't go up and shoot up the place they used to work. But in 1988, as well, a year after Black Wednesday, and you're going to pull that kind of crap. I thought it was an extraordinarily bad taste. But he's not. He's not. Try, I don't think he's trying to be a satire of that part. It's like the like we just said with the slapstick daft stuff with the Ghost Christmas Present. I don't know. This I think is you're just being invited to laugh at this guy. And yeah, I you th- are. Just, you are. But no, but, but that's in really bad taste. Well. It's just, I suppose it is, but it's also, you know, a lot of comedy is in bad taste, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, uh, I suppose. Uh, and, and, and and are you allowed to to uh, to, to to laugh? I'm not at, saying you're allowed. I'm not that. calling for it to be censored. I'm just saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't have been allowed to put it out. I'm saying you should have known better than to ask us to laugh at a guy who's fallen off the deep end because you've taken his job <laughs> away in an incredibly callous way. I'm supposed to root for the guy who, at the start of the movie, heartlessly takes this guy's job away just before Christmas, instead of the guy who had his job taken away. What? No. Don't think so. But isn't that a a classic bit of comedy, though? A, something bad happens to someone and they just fly off the deep end. That that has been a a comedy staple for decades. Yeah. I mean, you might not find it funny, I suppose. But, well, I mean, no, I... I suppose I've laughed at that in other circumstances, but if it's slapstick, it's not slapstick if he's got a gun and he's shooting people. Well, uh, I think you need a distinction there because he's not shooting every. He's not going on some rampage. He's trying to kill his boss. You no, know, he goes into the place. He goes into the the control room of the TV station. Starts waving the gun around, but it's okay because he's on Scrooge's <laughs> side and he's had a redemptive moment. Right, ties up this guy that we're supposed to hate because he's a wanker, and then, and but then accidentally shoots the window out. And instead of going, oh, sorry, everybody, st- still had my gun on, he goes, yeah, and you'll all get some of that as well if you're not careful. He is presented as a homicidal maniac. He's just a homicidal maniac without the basic kind of resolve to actually remember that he's there to kill people. He's still gone off the deep end and we're still invited to laugh at him. And I still think that's appalling. And never mind the fact that the censor just keeps getting beaten up and then goes over and starts kissing the guy in the chair because they're both characters you're supposed to hate. One's a man and one's a woman. Like, for fuck's sake. 
Yeah, he he is he is a homicidal maniac towards the end, but he's also a ridiculous one, isn't he? He's not frightening. I mean, he's much more likely no, he's to, not frightening. to to, he's to pitiable, blow it up. But he's yeah. pitiable with a gun, and pitiable yeah. with a gun is not what I laugh at. You know, I yeah. mean, so a great example of this of, of this sort of thing, I think, done well. Do you know Four Lions? Yes. Four Lines is a great film, which satirises and presents as ridiculous and invites us to laugh at British homegrown Islamic, Islamic extremists, right? Mm. And it presents that in a way which examines all the different ways in which the whole situation is fucked up. And it doesn't let anybody get away with being presented as a hero. And as such, it is hilarious, right? This just has a standard Hollywood kind of trajectory. And then underneath it all is the story of some poor bastard that gets sacked gets divorced, loses all of his money in his house, goes crazy, goes back into his work to shoot people, punchline. To shoot his what? boss. To shoot his boss, fine, but then goes and threatens loads of other people with a gun. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, Four Lines is an interesting comparison. Obviously, they're not trying to do the same things, and I, I would be interested to see um, how funny Four Lines is in 30 years to people who mm, are coming at it from a different angle. Um, I suppose. But, uh, well, I, mean, I suppose that's true. But it, uh, but it was really. When was it released? Two thousand eleven. Yeah. So, so ten years after September the eleventh, and four years after the bombs go off in London. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, the, you know, I don't. I don't think it's going to become more inappropriate with time. Uh, no, but I don't. I don't mean that. But I, I mean it's sort of some of the jokes that are funny now and make sense now might be seen as either bad taste uh, or just stupid in thirty years' time. But you know, well, you're sad we'll to say. Um, I thought the interest what you said about the the plane exploding as part of that mm. sort of starting scene is interesting because um, Lockerbie the Lockerbie bombing where a plane blew up was that year. was nineteen eighty eight in December I think yeah. I think it was, in, it, was it was it was sort of winter so that must have been a really unfortunate timing issue because obviously this must have been shot and put together way before that yeah. But, but the thing is that I, I, at this point, I have so little respect for the people that made this film that I, I don't even think they'd have the courtesy to cut the fucking thing out. <laughs> I would just expect them to just put it on like that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the let's have a look. What other notes have we got here? Yeah. So, shall we move on to the, talk about the ending? Let's. The ending was a. Uh, this is the one you've got the biggest problem with, isn't it? Um, yeah. You you really is. Which point did you decide you didn't like? Did you just watch it all the way through and think, "Oh, this is rubbish"? Or no, was it no, the end and really that coloured the rest actually, of it? And that's a good question. Like there was, there were moments throughout it where I thought, "Oh, that really works." And one of them was the opening sequence, and I'm only angry mm. about that in hindsight because it kind of let me down. Um, and uh, other bits were the Carol Kane sequence, the Ghost of Christmas Present. That was really funny. Mm. Um, I liked after. After the ghost of Christmas passed, it was um, he ends up in this kind of underneath this street grating, frozen and oh, yeah. unable to get out. And he's yelling at people, but all you ever see are their receding heels above him walking across. And I thought a better presentation of the classical idea of hell I don't think I've ever seen in cinema. Mm. I thought that was really, really, really good is this idea of you're calling and you're yelling and you just can't get out. And that's what makes it hell. Yeah. Um, and obviously he does get out because this is a Hollywood movie. But um, but I thought that was really inventive. Um, and uh, Ghost of Christmas Past <laughs> is good. Uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past uh, is uh, yeah um, yeah is good. He he does very very well. And I actually thought the Ghost of, hmm, yeah Ghost of Christmas Past was was 
good, but at that point I was like, oh, I see what you're going to do. You're going to do this kind of scuzzy, grimy, 80s kind of vaguely horror movie kind of vibe here. I see what you're trying to do. Um, and I thought that actor did very, very well to kind of pull a bit of human cheer out of the middle of that mess. Mm. Um, and then Christmas Present was good. I don't know, Christmas Future is the best example ever of this kind of Ghostbusters crap. You know, you've got plastic ghosts pushing in from behind somebody's rib cage and you've got a shot of them and you're like oh ghostbusters i see and then they give you another shot again as though to say there you go you cretins that's what you loved last summer how about a bit more of that oh you've got a real and ghostbusters chip on your shoulder about this I, have, I love ghostbusters that's the thing i don't like people disrespecting it in a, in a, in a, a, a an attempt to get another several hundred million dollars. The, the give them the same thing over again, but with a different Christmas flavor on it stuff is just, just really, really winds me up. I don't, I don't, I don't really buy that though. I, I just don't get the, this is Ghostbusters 1.5. No, I, I'm not saying it's Ghostbusters 1.5. I'm saying they looked at what Ghostbusters, what worked with Ghostbusters. And you can actually go and look at the posters and stuff for this as well. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they, they saw what worked for Ghostbusters and then they were like, hey, Christmas Carol's got ghosts in it. Everybody <laughs> knows Christmas Carol's. Hey, everybody knows Bill Murray. People love Bill Murray and ghosts. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you can hear the conversation being had in the office. Bill Murray and ghosts does a Christmas Carol. Oh, Bill, he loves ghosts. Yeah, let's do that. Mm. And, and it's just, if I can, if at the end, I can still hear the conversation they had about the poster you know it's that cliche the movie business you know the best way to pitch the movie to somebody the movie executive is to say the poster's going to look like this yeah. and if I can still hear that conversation echoing after the credits have run then it's not a good enough film you know you haven't escaped your your concept yeah I suppose there, yeah there, I'm sure there was a, a part of that as sort of you know it's going to work very well for us because we've already, you've already you've got an audience a very specific audience that you can market it towards the people who liked Ghostbusters. I suppose I I would have fallen into that because when I was little, I loved Ghostbusters and I yeah. pretty much watched this on the back of thinking, oh, it's it's Peter Vankman yeah. doing a Christmas film. So I watched yeah. it, but but the thing is, I watched it and I came away. I absolutely loved it when I was little <laughs> because you, you know the, the slapstick stuff with the guy chasing him around the office with a shotgun, making funny quotes. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. The um, the toaster being this one being smacked over the head with a toaster. That was All right. great. Now that's deathless, yeah. isn't it? That I've got no argument with you on. That's comedy at its finest. The the stu I mean the the Ghost Christmas past scared me a little bit, but enjoyed and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I used to when I was little. I thought this was a brilliant film. It was it was kind of there was elements like the the scary guy at the beginning and uh, and bits like that and jokes that went completely over my head, which um, made me think I was watching like an adult, like a film aimed at people older than me, which was great. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I suppose part of the part of my continuing sort of enjoyment of Scrooge is is tied to that how much I enjoyed it when I was little. But um, but I, I do I do think that it's it, it does still have some genuinely good laughs in there, and um, I, I actually I also think the the obsession with um the, 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 there's the sexist element, but also the obsession with money, and that um at the end <clears throat> to sort of the way he fixes things, um I suppose similar to Scrooge in uh, in the original, but he just throws money at it. It's um yeah. I think in in the uh. In the original, in the actual Christmas Carol, it's about 
changing and sort of spending time with people and and listening to people more and i think at the end of scrooge he as a character you'd imagine he's still very dismissive of people and a part yeah. of that is is in this how he just kisses this other woman and then sort of want to say oh she's not the best though and wanders off and it's it's always still yeah. all dismissive isn't it but the yeah. uh, the difference is that he, the way he's using his power and influence and money is different and <laughs> and, and, I, I, and that, that is <laughs> such amazing. it's such an 80s moral story isn't it yeah. and I, but, but i still kind of enjoy it for that as well because it's sort of just, oh, it's a comment of the 80s like, do you go and get investment tips from wall street as well go and gordon gecko with his leather filofax <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not saying i i think it's right but um but i think it's just really nicely of its time and it's it, it's you can tell that it's come out of the world of greed is good and big cars and you know wolf yeah. of wall street style excess and that yeah. the whole point of, uh, of of the whole way of measuring success is through money to be honest it's very similar in that sense to something like back to the future which i love <laughs> as a film yeah. but the yeah. the sort of the the whole the whole arc you can trace to we don't want to talk too much about it but his his family's poor and getting knocked about at the start and at the end his dad's all successful because he's got a really big car he gives his son a really big car and uh, his arch nemesis he's waxing his really big car <laughs> and it's all about excess and it's just very eighties yeah it is very eighties but for that reason I I hate it I just think that whole kind of that whole ethos is horrifyingly kind of diminishing of human beings and I just I don't like it at all it's just shite um, and a better example of shite I don't think you'll see than Scrooge but we, we disagree and I think you made a lot of very very good points we'll, we'll agree to disagree with that I, I think if you haven't seen it you should see it and, and, uh, and make a decision for yourself over the most talked about Christmas story of all time <laughs> <laughs> so go and see it your life might just depend on it. Uh, thank you. What have we still got to do? Oh, um, okay, another comedy one. Yeah. I, I, this this was submitted quite late, um, so I didn't haven't given you. The, I don't know if you've seen it or not. Uh, Blackadder's mm. Christmas Carol. Oh, classic! Absolutely. Uh, this, this is if you if you if you're not familiar with Blackadder, it's this uh, historical comedy in Britain. Um, and it, is, it was set in, there's four series each in different periods and it follows this sort of nasty, sarcastic, um, I don't know, it's quite, what's he, what, what would be a good way to, dis- how, how do you sum up Edmund Blackadder? Um, He's a total wanker but you love watching him do it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, it's quite nice. And um <clears throat> The the Christmas they did a Christmas special a Christmas Carol and what they do is they take the Scrooge story and they just flip it on its head so it starts with this uh, Ebenezer Scrooge Ebenezer Blackadder who is really nice and genial and a complete walkover and people keep <laughs> taking advantage of him and he he just he won't sort of say a bad word about anybody and the the a ghost turns up and shows him a selection of of, of sort of former blackouts or older blackadders uh, through history and how like horrible they were and yeah. through looking at those he becomes horrible himself <laughs> <laughs> it's i i absolutely love blackadder's christmas carol i think it's really really yeah. funny 
It is very, very funny. I mean, it feels a bit weird to watch Blackadder being nice and because you know where you're going with it. It's a bit like, oh, good, I'm rooting for him to be horrible. But at the same time, that's because that's how the character of Blackadder works and that's why it's funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, for, you know, and you get to see Baldrick in a jockstrap. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sure the word get is quite appropriate there. Like, you get as in you get to go and have a really wonderful experience and watch. No, 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 no. You you can't avoid seeing Baldrick in a jockstrap. <laughs> oh, and also, um, Baldrick, by the way, is, uh, is sort of Blackadder's uh, cretinous sidekick who's a disgusting uh, sidekick yeah the, the big joke is a, he's a complete idiot and at one point he um he writes a christmas card to blackadder and he spells christmas without any of the letters getting any of the letters right <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's, there's an there's an h in christmas and an r and an i and an s and a D. <laughs> i've tried to work out how you could possibly do that and the best one i could come up with is christmas spelt K W Y Z B E Z. That gets it, doesn't it? That's amazing. That's Christmas as pronounced with a very heavy head cold. It's very, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, so that's another one that I would heartily recommend. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's very good. Also, we've had a, we've had another suggestion sent through. Did you get to see any of this? Um, again, very British. This um, Ross Kemp's Christmas Carol. Oh, bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> we must do explain for the benefit of people who haven't grown up with EastEnders um, exactly exactly who Ross Kemp is and why this is the craziest idea ever. So, um, so. so <laughs> So Ross Kemp is um, <laughs> is is a well he was um, he, he's done quite a lot now to be honest but at this time I think he was one of the two um, hard men uh, brothers in this soap in uh, in Britain uh, called EastEnders and uh, <laughs> this Christmas Carol is is set in the East End of London in modern day and Ross Kemp plays this like he basically plays Scrooge. <laughs> um, it actually got quite good reception when it was released, um, but I mean, watch it. I mean, I'd come to your own conclusions, but I, I, I found it, for the most part, unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a, it was, it's a lot of fun either way. I think you can find it on YouTube now, actually. Yeah, um, I, I, that's where I watched it, and it was. I won't lie and say that I watched it all the way through. That would be a falsehood. Um, but I watched enough of it to realise that this was EastEnders does a Christmas carol. And I thought, right, okay. I, I have the measure of this. <laughs> Any particular standout moments for you in the... Uh... There's a bit where he's um, he's trying to plead with uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future. And he's walking behind sort of his uh, this, this other character. And <laughs> there's a series of sort of jump cuts... Where he keeps appearing on the left and right of the uh, of the screen, and it was just, just so, so weird. I thought it was really really <laughs> funny. But, um, yeah, what about you? Um, no, just just the very idea. Like the joke is in the title, and that joke kept me running through quite a few minutes at the start. <laughs> just just the the sheer image 
of this kind of um, self-conscious, bald-headed hard man um, going around being Scrooge. Again, I mean, I don't know why it was that I could hear the casting decision meeting for this as well, but where it pissed me off with Scrooge, this one I was just like, yeah, slow hand clap, lads. Well done indeed. Well done. (laughs) It's me, Scrooge. It's a Christmas carol, right, you mug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's that. Um, The only other couple of things I've got, uh, I've not got any more Christmas... Carol um, retellings to look at, but uh, Simon uh, got in touch with us to say he wants to compare it to a couple of other films that aren't specifically based on A Christmas Carol, but are you see the sort of reflection in it. One is mm. uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which is a very famous Christmas film where yeah, yeah. A, a sort of a, a guy who's on the brink of suicide is shown all the people who rely on him, mm-hmm. um, and he sort of he realizes that he is you know his life is worth living after all and yeah. uh, that you can see some real really interesting parallels there can't you that that is a more uh, ambitious retelling of it i suppose they're not just taking the story and redone it they've tried to do a different version yeah or what if scrooge was a good man basically yeah um which i and i, I think that's really true although you only have the one ghost there don't you because yeah. the ghost of christmas past and the ghost of christmas present for him would just be a little bit dull like yeah yeah you you had a really good life. Well done. They're taking the they're taking the evening off, present and past. It's like, oh, fantastic! Yeah, just like, is it who are we doing tonight? Is it George Bailey? Fantastic, excellent. <laughs> Clocking off early, me. See you later, lads. <laughs> Christmas future sitting there going for fuck's sake. I've got to go. I've got to mount this whole production to show him his future. And uh, cheers, lads. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, the other one that that Simon suggested was Back to the Future, and uh, I think I, I, I find it harder to draw the comparison here because the the character doesn't really change. You know, the whole point of Christmas Carol is uh, the character's one way; he he sees a lot of things in his past or future, and he becomes mm. something else. And yeah. I suppose there's the element of time traveling Back to the Future, but beyond that, yeah. also there's no Christmas well, stuff. No, he does cut. No, in Back to the Future Part Two, he sees the consequences of his poor decisions, doesn't he? You know, and like, and there's there is the thread that runs through the all three of them, which is about um, uh, Marty McFly learning to control his temper. That's you know? true, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and that kind of, which is, I mean, it's fairly simple compared with be a better person, be more generous. Here's a complete slate of your character failings. Yeah. Um, but it's still, I still think that's a pretty good kind of little arc. You know, he re- he 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 really does change over the whole thing. You know, he doesn't mm. doesn't try the drag race at the end, which he tries at the beginning, and you know. All of that. Um, <laughs> so he goes to he goes he has the ghost of Christmas past. He has the ghost of Christmas future in the second one, and he has the ghost of a Wild West Christmas. In- <laughs> I was going to say that a Wild Michael J. Fox presents a Wild West Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all! Get off your horse and drink your mulled wine. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Oh, excellent. excellent work there. Well, there we go. Okay, so your um, what what is your favourite retelling that you have seen of it of the Christmas Carol? Oh, Scrooged. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I I started to crack out a little bit of eighties slang there to go with that most eighties <laughs> movie. Um, 
Uh, which is my favourite? It's the Muppets. It's got to be the Muppets. It hits yeah. everything the right way and makes every every theme deeper. Every little facet of the story, the scary bits, the funny bits, the moving bits, uh, uh, everything deeper, and it adds songs. <laughs> Can't say better than that, can you? No, exactly. Good. I, I I kind of want to say Scrooge just to piss you off, but I, <laughs> I can't. I can't quite. I can't quite put it as number one. I'd say um, I would agree Muppet Christmas Carol. I'd say Muppet Christmas Carol, but with a with an honourable mention to that uh, recent Disney one because I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was that was very well done. Yeah, and Blackadder's good as well. They're all they're all well as far as I'm concerned they're all good. Well, uh, Blackadder exists in a league of its own, obviously. <laughs> well, so I don't, I don't know if you're stuck for Christmas presents, guys. You've still got a bit of time. This is, this is, we've got a couple of days but um, maybe maybe get one of those Christmas retellings or maybe just I'll tell you what you could do I'll tell you what the best Christmas present that you could give anybody at this holiday season this Christmas time send them a link send them a link to Shark Liver Oil <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving that's the thing it is the gift that keeps on giving once yeah. a week all year round <laughs> um, yeah so look that's that's it for us for, for the Christmas special. But uh, have a fantastic Christmas. Uh, spend Thanks, it with the people you love. And uh, Dave, in the words of Tiny Tim, God bless us, everyone. <laughs>